0: Daily news and analysis, we keep you informed and inspired.
1: This is World Today. Hello and welcome to the panel discussion of World Today. I'm Ding Han in Beijing. Over the past week, China has been celebrating the Spring Festival holiday. Hundreds of millions of people in the country have traveled for family reunion, for sightseeing, or for both. Great momentum has been recorded in economic activities ranging from online and offline retail to tourism. With a modern lifestyle and the emergence of new technologies, significant changes have taken place in the way Chinese people celebrate their Lunar New Year. But does that necessarily indicate the erosion of traditions? This question and much more in this edition of the program. To listen to this episode again or to catch upon on previous episodes, you can download our podcast by searching World Today. So joining us now on the line are Dr. Zhou Mi, Senior Research Fellow with the Chinese Academy of International Trade and Economic Cooperation, Mario Cavallo, Founder and CEO of M Communications Group, and a Senior Fellow with the Center for China and Globalization and Dr. Jimeng, Associate Professor from Beijing Foreign Studies University. Mario, let me start with you. Let's begin uh, today's conversation by talking about the Spring Festival Gala, because statistically, we are talking about the most watched TV program in the world, uh, and some reports and data suggested that this year's gala has received the highest viewership in some six years. So why do you think more people have watched the gala this year compared to the situation over the past few
2: years? Overall, I have to say that uh, I'm really making a strong effort this last couple of years um, now as we're coming out of the pandemic um, to get an authentic understanding of what's happening here in China. Uh, I I really want to have my pulse on, on the finger, on the ground of what's going on. Uh, Xinjiang, where we live, is my wife's hometown. Of course, we've been here five years, and the total, I've been in China for 24 years. I, I Really, when I speak about China and what we think is happening here, these kind of phenomenon of things becoming more popular, like the gala, you know, having more viewers than ever, and and also the the abundant and successful winter tourism up to Harbin in, in Liaoning province this year. All these kinds of phenomenon happening that seem to be very, very positive for the country. And I can't just look at China. We have to compare China to what's happening across the world. And yes, there is a segment of China that is still having a tough time, struggling post-pandemic, you know, the lower uh, slash lower middle-class income people. Um, they took a big hit because of the pandemic. They lost a lot of savings in their businesses. But what do they see? I think that they see that their country and their government overall uh, is still pretty much the most successful in the world right now. China is, without a doubt, uh, uh, what, what's the word, Fushing, right? Rising, rising up mm-hmm. and growing and overall the country is getting better and meeting challenges. There's a rising national pride. And I believe, and, and we'll, we have a lot more time to talk about why and what that rising national pride is. And so I think that that's in general, what's what it's all about. Chinese okay. feel better about their own country than they've ever felt before in the last 40, 50 years. What's happened over the last 20 years is amazing. And now we're coming out of the pandemic and people are feeling more hopeful. All of this makes sense to me. Okay.
1: So, Dr. Joe Mi, let me go to you. I mean, since its inception in 1983, the Spring Festival Gala has become a defining element of the contemporary Chinese uh, Spring Festival experience. Over the years, what do you think has changed when we talk about watching the gala and what do you think has remained the same?
3: Yeah, I I think that in my understanding, especially when I was a child, uh, I remember that every spring festival Eve, we will sit in front of uh, the TV to to watch the gala. So it's bring us a very strong memory in my brain. But, uh, you know, after so many years, uh, the gala has uh, become, in my understanding, become a a symbol a symbol of uh, a reunion a symbol of uh to trying to celebrate this very important time so actually uh when i'm talking about the changes i, I would say that we are looking at this year for the interview with the director of the this event of the gala the director uh was very confident he, he, she was very relaxed she, she said that uh, you know the business time has passed we are enjoying the show so you know, even for the uh, the anchors of the events of the gala, they are also very relaxed. I think that is one thing that is trying to show us that we are more confident, and it's a very nice time for us to to celebrate, to trying to enjoy the culture feast. So a lot of things are unchanged. So if you are looking at the programs, you may find that uh, the songs, new songs, the dances, and something to do with. Uh, it's a dramas and also these elements are kept. So they are kept in the in the in the form of uh, you know to show the people a very happy uh, mm-hmm. happy mood. But something changed. They are more international. So we are trying to not only limit it on our traditional ways of celebrating. We uh, we included many new elements. Some of them from other countries. Some of them from the technology. So I would say that uh, the gala has become a very important time or the, the performance for the, the people, not only for Chinese people, but for also for the people in the world who are trying to know more about China. This is kind of changed
1: hmm. So, Professor Tanji some people say in recent years, the gala has showcased a greater emphasis on cultural confidence namely civilizational pride, the national learning of China's own history, cultural heritages, and traditional elements, etc., etc. This year's event is no exception in this trend. What is your observation?
0: Well, I think the gala, uh, as my uh, two fellow panelists have said, that um, it is quite an iconic event. And it taps into the theme as I observe the themes of family, tradition and cultural identity, all these themes resonate deeply with the audiences during this very auspicious time in, uh, the, during the Chinese uh, Lunar New Year. And um, if you look at the program this year, once again, it features these um, constant themes that tap into what we call uh, issues related to cultural tradition, the revival of this cultural confidence. And at the same time, and try to remind, I think, not just the people in this country, but also the world, that the rise of this this post COVID China, as we all know that this COVID China had been suffering over the past three years uh, from this very COVID and also the, the consequences of it. And so in this sense, my observation based on my brief watching and uh, kind of segmented of this gala it is it features quite diverse and very dynamic themes not only showing that the revival of china after covid but also this very uh, renewed sense of a china that is increasingly modern and also diverse and dynamic and the vitality of it. And so the gala serves as a venue or a platform that that sends signals, not just to people in China, but also to the people of the world. Mm. that We are still celebrating and we are part of this very international family. And we are actually marching on uh, and try to keep everything back on track and also advance and try to advance uh, and continue on the path of uh, modernization globalization, and, uh, and all of it. And so it's, it is a kind of civilizational right and also mutual learning, the revival of the uh, cultural heritage by also incorporating new elements uh, from the rest of the world.
1: Yeah, so in addition to watching the gala, I guess another major theme during the holiday is, of course, uh, family reunion. Uh, for me personally, this was actually the first time me and my wife managed to get my parents and the parents-in-law to spend this holiday together as a big family, the first time ever since we got married a couple of years ago. In the bigger picture, Since, data from China Mobile suggests that the number of people who went back to their hometowns during the holiday saw a 23% increase compared to last year's festival, and even compared to uh, 2019. Still, there has been a rise of roughly 10% this year in terms of the number of the people who travel. So, Dr. Zhou Mi, what do you make of this phenomenon?
3: In my understanding, you know, uh, in the past, uh, when I was a little bit young, I will remember that the travel in the spring festival holidays are really hard because, you know, I have to take a train for traveling for maybe uh, 2,000 kilometers from the east to the north uh, to the west. And uh, during this way, it's very crowded. So in the past decades, we saw a very uh, good improvement on the infrastructure of logistics. I think that is a very important uh, element to support us, support the people in China to reunion. Because during the spring festival, there are mainly uh, two kinds of uh, very uh, big vibes Uh, you know, uh, waves of people, like the first one is from the university students, they have the holidays, so they went back to their hometown. And another one is the migrant workers. So they worked in the uh, most developed uh, cities and regions, but they returned to to their hometown. So these things overlapped to have a very strong uh, demand for the traveling. Actually, um, I would say that uh, uh, the logistic infrastructure has made it uh, much easier for the Chinese people to go back home. And it is also one of the very important reasons why China developed such a large extent of the high-speed rail system network. So uh, we have the time, and uh, we are trying to make our time better because for this uh, festival holidays, we have nine days. Uh, So I I would say that after... Uh, three years or four mm-hmm. years, it is a really big reunion in China. Many families uh, can have uh, the time to exchange of their ideas about what has uh, they have experienced in the past one year and trying to imagine what they want to do for the next new year. So it's a really important time.
1: Mm. So Mario, I mean, um, going back to home for the Spring Festival celebration is, of course, nothing new here in China The annual Spring Festival Travel Rush is known internationally as the biggest human migration in the world. It is a phenomenon that has been going on here in this country for decades. So what do you think this tells us about Chinese people's uh, mentality or philosophy about their hometowns?
2: Jeremy brought up a really good point that um, even if we compare today, to pre-pandemic we go back to that the the date you noted right we, we look back at 2019 right the year that was pre-pandemic and we go forward for it's four it's it, it's five years now it's you know it's four and a half years it's a long period of time uh when i look back on it i realize that amount of time passed rather quickly actually in retrospect and one of the things that was happening is that china's progress didn't stop And that progress included infrastructure and that progress included more and more train tracks and rails into the local hometowns where everyone has a desire to go to their hometown. Who wouldn't? Right. You know, I'm originally from Italy and the yearning to go back to your hometown is is still there. Right. To go back and visit. And in my case, there's only old distant family that 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 are still there. Right. So. In China, this attachment to the hometown by nature of the way the culture and the society is structured, the hometown is a big deal. We can go back to the, you know, even talking about Hukou, the Hukou IDs and the reform and and the reforms that are happening, you know, to make it easier for for people who want to work to move around, that kind of a thing. But it it points to this exact reality that in China the family center is still primarily in the hometown the that is a promoted idea it's it's deep in the culture it's long term the marriage and the family household is the center of the society and that's still primarily found back in the hometown and there is a nostalgic magnetic attraction back to the hometown you know there really is there's something special for us, I mentioned earlier before the show began that we hadn't traveled for the last four years like many people during Chinese New Year. We stayed here in Shenyang, which is my wife's hometown. So we were already in the Lao Jia. We didn't need to travel. Well, guess what? It's it regarded as a very important thing that we were in our Lao Jia. That meant a lot to us that we could bring together. Mm-hmm. We say in Chinese, you know, Wa he lao. lao. my our 12 year old boy and mom and dad and then uh mom's mom which we call lao lao in chinese and this is significant this is a big deal to get together with family in the hometown it's the old traditional and right way in my opinion of, of the way society should be and it's still a very strong deep attraction that's In the Chinese value system, I always say it's very similar to other traditional cultures like Italian culture, where the family and the roots of family are still the roots of society, which is as it should be as far as I'm concerned.
1: Mm. Mm-hmm. So Lao Jia is a very interesting vocabulary and also in Chinese Mandarin, Professor Tan, we understand there is a another vocabulary that refers to people's sentimental attachment to their hometowns, Xiang right? Or homesickness, if we put it some uh, literal translation. Uh President Xi Jinping has actually mentioned this particular vocabulary on many, many occasions when he was elaborating on the need to preserve any cultural or historical identities of cities and even villages. So what do you think are the key elements in terms of retaining people's old memories about any particular city or any town or even any village?
0: Um, I would echo Mario's uh, observation. I think um one of the key elements reminding people of the memory of, uh, of that very so-called xiangzhou is home, is family, where you, uh, in a sense, where you spend your, especially your formative years in that very particular town or village or city. And so family remains the very center of this very cultural fabric of meaning and family could also be part of this very value system and uh, which constitutes uh, this very uh, uh, center of Xiangzhou. And so in this case, I think family and value and as well as one's education, one's upbringing experience could be uh, the key elements within this very notion of Xiangzhou. But Xiangzhou remains a very old idea. It is an old idea that actually can put together uh, lots of uh, these old value systems. These uh, uh, legitimate value system, these value system that remains meaningful, uh, meaningful in this very, for example, 21st century. But I think we also need to think out of the box um, as China becoming is becoming more and more modern and globalized. And in this sense, I think people tend to see homes around the world. I mean, wherever you stay and that's home. Uh, Mario sees Shenyang as home, uh, even though that uh, his ancestral home is back in Italy. Mm. Uh, Still, he sees home here in China. And so home to me or Xiangzhou to me should not be constrained to one place, one city, one town or one village. Uh Xiangzhou should be, in a sense, uh, connected to the very background, to the very place where you find yourself comfortable, where you find yourself homey. I mean, in a sense, uh, Xiangzhou remains an a notion that needs to be renovated. Uh, home is home, but home is not the only place where we think where we are or where we can think about Xiangzhou uh, and so i'm much more for a globalized notion of xiangchao meaning that um, wherever you go stay in that place and see it at home and mm-hmm. do and like the old saying says when you are in rome you are in Roman, do as the romans do and so in this sense we will be having home all around the world on this planet
1: yeah i guess um i would personally concur with this point as well because i i think really nowadays this particular word of home appears to have more than one layer of meaning to many people in China today. In my personal case, you know, Beijing is the city where I have uh, worked and lived for more than a decade. I have a stable job here, I have met my wife and my parents-in-law here, so of course I see Beijing as my home. In, but in the meantime, Zhejiang province in eastern China is also my home. That's where my parents are still living nowadays. That's where I grew up. And that's where I will usually go during the Lunar New Year holiday, In term, uh, including this year. So, um, Professor Zhou how do you think such a situation might bring changes to Chinese people's uh, mentality about hometown or even homesickness?
3: Yeah, it's really a phenomenon that we have observed in the past decades. You know, in the past, maybe... Uh, four decades ago, the Chinese people are not going everywhere. They just, uh, you know, they grow up in the same cities. They work there. They have children. They have their families. But now, you know, a lot of people are trying to educate their children. If you if you want to be good, you can go to some big city, bigger cities like Beijing, like Shanghai, Guangzhou. So uh, it has a lot of impact. In- on the people's uh, growth path. When the people, when the students uh, are growing up, they have their own intentions. They may choose where they want to stay. So actually, uh, this has burnt uh, us with uh, so many uh, the multi-centers in China. Well, actually, uh, it is also a, a kind of problems problem that we are uh, trying to look at the industrial transfer. Maybe in the at the beginning of the openness uh, in the 1978 in China, uh, you know most of the areas are opened in the eastern and the coastal areas in China. So a lot of uh, uh, foreign investors went there. They have uh, very good opportunities there. So people will go there to find jobs. But now we see that China has opened all from the east to the west, from the south to the north. That nowhere is not opened. Nowhere is closed. So people are trying to see that there are so many opportunities for the manufacturings, for the services and for other uh, kind of areas, even for agriculture. So I, I would say that has provided so many choices for Chinese young men. And some of the you know the people are trying to return to their imagined Scenarios or provinces like uh, uh, some people will go to Yunnan to to live there, to open a more in there, and trying to uh, communicate with the uh, tourists everywhere. So it's a kind of uh, style of life. People have more choices. People have more leisures. I, I think that is uh, also the, the you know the reason why China is uh, providing so many opportunities for the homesick. Maybe some of them will have changed will change their opinions compared with uh, their um, you know their parents they want to use different forms to communicate they can keep in touch with their families through videos through WeChat, mm-hmm. through video talks and it is much easier compared with you know when we are younger we have to use uh, the letters to use the letters to to t- tell them what's happening to us and we have to wait maybe one week or two weeks to get some messages from others. So the modern technology has provided a much shorter of, you know, the communication and the much easier uh, cost of uh, communicating. That is uh, a a way for us to not only to pay too much attention or depend too much on the the special days, but we have uh, so many choices. So mm. I have to see another level because you know in the past the homesick it's uh, in the in the art uh, you know the the books in some, um, uh the 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 poems and it's uh, uh, also a very important uh, you know a kind of elements to be embedded in the pieces of uh, a creation of the art and now I I think that's still there so people have different choices they can choose which uh, ways they want to follow, or which style they want to follow. So we can also go home, uh, not in the Spring Festival. It's much easier than before.
1: Let's take a short break. Coming back, our discussion will continue. Stay tuned. You're listening to World Today. I'm Ding Han in Beijing. Today we are talking about China's Spring Festival holiday. Joining our panel, Dr. Zhou Mi, Senior Research Fellow with the Chinese Academy of International Trade and Economic Cooperation, Mario Cavallo, founder and CEO of M-Communications Group and a Senior Fellow with the Center for China and Globalization, and Dr. Tan Jimen, Associate Professor from Beijing Foreign Studies University. Uh, Mario, going back to you, earlier we were talking about um, our homesickness, our old memories about our hometowns in the wake of the Spring Festival. Now, for me personally, when I was a kid, I was living in a compound in my hometown, and I remember right outside the window of my home at the time, I could see a courtyard with a lot of traditional architectural and cultural values. Later, the compound I once lived in was demolished to give way for urban construction, and there was a time when I sadly thought that that compound would gradually disappear in my memory. Now, surprisingly, when I was touring a local cultural center during my most recent trip to hometown, this time during the holiday, I saw that courtyard once again, then I somehow learned that although the compound, the whole compound has been torn down, that courtyard has been preserved and relocated to that cultural center in a new location. So really standing in front of that courtyard, all my memories about my childhood, about that old compound, about growing up over there came back. So um, what do you make of my personal experience here? What do you think, for example, the local government in my hometown has done right in terms of, say, urban planning or
2: construction? I remember when I first arrived in Chengdu here in China. It was 1999. And I remember this next, the following three, four years that occurred. First of all, back in Chengdu, and uh, ninety nine nothing had begun changing yet. It was still old original Chengdu there was only the the holiday inn Crown Plaza was downtown, and that was the only international hotel and over in near neighboring Chongqing was the the only international hotel was the the big tall round tower was the Marriott back then. so nothing had begun changing in terms of this urban renewal revitalization this rebuilding of the cities the new whether it's new areas like we say you know Hunan district here in shenyang which is the equivalent of you know pudong and mm. shanghai and many other cities they all had their xinjiang the the new city the new side of the city but there was this question of the old the renewing and rebuilding of the old city and back then i saw some controversy because I and I remember it was the early 2000s when I had then moved to Shanghai, and I saw some of the old buildings being torn down, and I saw some conflicts about that. back then i I, I didn't know what was really going on, but I knew that the idea of preserving certain enough of the aspects of the society and the culture was important. and I'm, I, what I want to say is that going forward. I've noticed that the Chinese government recognized the the meaning and the value of this and has been much more careful about which areas they were going to quote tear down and rebuild where they would, you know, take away the original culture like you said taking away a courtyard uh which is to some degree, within the the depth of a culture and a society and its values regarded as a loss, regarded as a death. And people resist that. They want to hold on to their memories. And now forward, you know, I'd say looking at over the last 10 years from, say, 2014 till now, we're seeing a much clearer understanding here in China, again, that the people appreciate their history and their culture and the government rec- and the government as well, the, the CPC. They recognize the value and the, of the rich, the richness that is found in this mm. and are being, I think, quite, quite wise. There's a wisdom in their realizing not to tear this away, to preserve it, to respect it, to do it in a more careful way, like. You were so surprised to find that this courtyard was torn away, yet you found it moved to another location. Yeah. You know, uh, There's more of an effort, there's more of a sensitivity to the value of this richness in the society here now. And I'm very glad, we're all, I'm sure, we're all very, very glad to see that.
1: Mm, that's for sure. So, Dr. Jomi, reportedly there has been a new trend this year called... Returning home first, then traveling to other places for tourist activities. And one indicator in this regard is that actually during the first three days of the Lunar New Year, car hailing demand around some. Um, domestic tourism hotspots saw an almost 70% surge compared to the pre-pandemic 2019 situation. Uh, And also in terms of my personal experience during this holiday, in all those tourism spots I visited together with my family members, um, I saw, to use a Chinese phrase, people mountain, people see. So what do you think has given rise to this trend?
3: Yeah, I agree with you that the people mountain and the people sea is what I observed in some very hot spots. Like in Fuzhou, I went to Sanfang Qixiang. It's a, mm. a small village and also many of the museums there. So people there are very crowded. I, I think that is a, a very important phenomenon reflecting the people's willingness to go out to to look at some places. Maybe they are familiar with them. I I have to say that uh, a lot of local people still go there in the spring festival because they also try to, you know, to find some of the uh, familiars and be happy with uh, uh, interaction uh, with other peoples. But there are more tourists from other provinces, like from... Beijing, like our family. So we went there and we found that it's a really nice place. So I I think that uh, it reflects that uh, Chinese people are having more choices, no matter some of them are historically or some of them are from the natural sceneries. They have more choices to go there. And uh, a lot of places, especially the local governments, they're really uh, interested uh, to support the tourism they are trying to give in better uh, infrastructure and support for the people on the logistics on the accommodation and trying to make the transportation less jammed so uh, during the seven days of trip uh, of our family in Fujian province one of the provinces in southeast china we seldom happen to meet with many traffic jams and it is also a, a very important support by the technology. Like we use uh, uh, navigators, they help us to to reduce the traffic jams. So for many of the people, many of the Chinese people, they went there to some places which they are not familiar with. Like even some people living in uh, in the in the Yunnan province, they are living in the Xinren sport, but they still want to go somewhere else. And maybe go to Xinjiang. The students in the Guangxi province in the south, they went to the north part to Harbin and make it a real connection between the south and the north. So it's a really kind of I think it's a kind of a enjoyment to try different experiences in different places. It's important in the in the winter time because in the winter China has so many differences from the north to the south in yeah. the temperature. I mean, so it's created so many different. Uh, scenarios and people are uh, trying to enjoy with them
1: Mm, the differences between different regions is really really interesting to observe so professor tenji nowadays there is a debate going on online about to what extent today's people are inheriting the traditional practices and customs in terms of celebrating the lunar new year some people say the rising spring festival tourism could help boost the tradition because in order for a place to attract more tourists during the holiday, uh, this place really needs to promote and highlight its unique local culture. But some people say when more people are traveling as tourists during the holiday, that means um, less people are staying at their hometowns to carry out their local traditions. What is your take on this?
0: What is yes and no? I think uh, in terms of staying uh, the, the criticism, uh, I think they're quite right. Uh, if when people are on the road or are constantly on the road, all these old traditions—I mean, these local traditions—which are sometimes quite ritualistic, for example, dinner, uh, dinner with your families uh, on the eve or on uh, the first and second or third days of the festival would be something like an empty house. I mean, you have old folks staying home and um, with no younger people waiting around waiting on around and uh, joining this very particular ritual uh, to celebrate the old tradition. And so the criticism is justified. But on the other hand, um, I think old traditions need to be updated and renovated. And so in this sense, tourism uh, come in and, as a replacement uh, in terms of helping to expanding the very tradition and help to renovate and rediscover the meaning of this very tradition. And so holiday traveling uh, is a new way to celebrate this very uh, festival, especially when uh, infrastructure in this country has been radically improved. I mean, people can travel, can move around the country by uh, by air by uh fast speed railway, and even by uh see these big cruisers along the coast and so um it is it is a some some kind of a dilemma that um when you see fewer people out there in the village in the city like Beijing, i mean I see empty cities, empty streets, and empty parts of the community because all the people are on the road traveling. Uh, I mean, across the country and some even outside uh, the country. And so in this sense, uh, there is a dilemma in this sense, to in terms of carrying out the old tradition. But at the same time, I think that um, we also need to think out of the box once again. Uh, I mean, there's not just one way to celebrate this festival. There are multiple methods to celebrate the festival by traveling. And at the same time, you can still travel... Uh, with your family, you you can still travel with members of your family or even members of your community out there to uh, these scenic spots. Uh, I think the the real significance is that um, right now Chinese people are freely to travel. I mean, this free mobility uh, is one thing that highlights this very new societal development. At the same time, it is. Uh, Also, a reflection of the economic development, the the very development of this consumer society, consumerism. I mean, tourism is part of this very consumerism, which allow people to travel and spend. And Mm -hmm. with spending and also uh, visiting, even short-term visiting, I mean, local economy could develop. uh, Because without spending, I mean, if all people stay at home, no um, uh, economic development can be, in a sense, materialized. And so in this sense, I think um, we need to th- try to find the balanced way to celebrate this very traditional festival.
1: Yeah. So I guess for uh, for us Chinese people, the dinner on the Lunar New Year's Eve is arguably the most important meal throughout the entire year. Uh, and in terms of what was on people's dinner tables for that meal uh, this time around, Mario, there is a new trend. Uh, in which people order dishes via online platforms and have them delivered. Data from Meituan, a major platform in this area, show this was especially the case for people who are traveling as tourists. And one case in Meituan's record is that on the Lunar New Year's Eve, a user based in Jiangsu, she traveled to Harbin, which is uh, some 2,800 kilometers away from Jiangsu, and ordered some dishes featuring the local Dongbei style, the namely Northeast Chinese style, for her dinner on that day. How would you look at this trend?
2: This is a very interesting trend, and I will look at it. Let me take a survey and percentage approach. I'll call it sixty. 60- Percent not good (laughs) and 40% good. So what, and why would I say that? I I don't think that any traditional family wants to agree with the idea that ordering takeout for your family's most important holidays is a, is a good cultural tradition. (laughs) You know, it's just that smacks of commercialism Mm -hmm. uh, to a degree. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm one of the, people in the show today to be able to compare to something very different for me growing up italian-american with our traditional uh family gatherings which are at you know christmas uh, east christmas and easter you know thanksgiving christmas and easter and uh remembering when i was uh, going back a half a century uh revealing my age you know when i was a young boy with my brothers and our family and uncles and aunts and cousins and Uh, No, nobody ordered takeout. No doubt about that. My mother's authentic homemade eggplant parmesan and meatballs and Italian sausages and everything was it was all made from scratch. And that's an important part of the celebration of family and culture together. Okay, having said that, I can agree with and tolerate a degree to which uh, families might say, hey, you know what? because of the convenience of certain kinds of takeout uh, you know the delivery system in China is amazing they don't have it, and they don't have it in Europe and America i mean let's be honest it's it's not just the fact that a company can deliver a meal to your home that that alone is not the fact of the convenience it's the fact that they can do it for 10 rmb that that's a big part of the reason why Meituan and delivery services have blossomed as they have in this culture. So let's not look at, look at it as a bad thing. I think that during our holiday periods, we could turn around and do like that lady who was from Jiangsu and went up to Harbin. So she was interested in experiencing a different part of Chinese culture. She came, she wanted to go north to say, hey, you know, we're all from Jiangsu. Jiangsu is our lao jia, but let's go to Dongbei and let's experience uh, Chinese New Year Dongbei style the Dongbei way and let's let's seek out and find an authentic Dongbei experience and an authentic Dongbei restaurant meal which would you know probably include a, a dategua you know this kind of a thing mm. to that degree that you would say yeah let's find an authentic Dongbei restaurant to cater our 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 meal this year and they can deliver it to our door and they can do it conveniently that's not a bad alternative I Mm. think the spirit of it is what matters that you're still celebrating some aspect of of your culture and your holiday
1: okay so dr. Jomi, what is your take about this particular phenomenon we are talking about I mean one thing Mario has alluded to is Cooking food for the the Lunar New Year or for the Spring Festival is supposed to be a great enjoyment during the holiday. It is um, sometimes seen as a part of the rituals. So if people, especially the younger generation, are increasingly resorting to, um, to ordering takeout for what they eat during the holiday... Um. How do you think that would somehow risk eroding the Spring Festival cuisine culture? Why or
3: why not? Uh, you know, when we're talking about the food on the table, uh, it's not only about the food, not uh, only about the eating. It is also a, a procedure of cooperation, of the teamwork, of the families' collaboration between the different, you know, the members of the family. So they enjoy the whole process, like to, to choose uh, vegetables or meat in the market and then bring it home to deal with them, to do some things to make it uh, in the different styles, or they can exchange some of the ideas how they can cook that. Maybe uh, in the big family, each member coming from different cities. They will deliver one, one dish and uh, that is uh, also a very enjoyable process. And, uh, you know, sometimes in the spring uh, festival, if the family will go to the restaurant to celebrate, I I think the reason is simple because they think that is uh, helping for the better or some uh, more delicious or different styles of food and they don't have to wash the dishes uh, after the meal so uh, if they are using the the delivery from the restaurants to to make it uh, happening I, I also agree with that you know in in my family uh, like my parents they will they will do all the things like to do the tangyuan uh, it's a mm-hmm. kind of food like the dumplings in china yeah. from the the meal of the the rice yeah. But I will not do. We will buy it, you know, the semi-products from the, the shops of Daoxiangcun, and then cook them. So actually, it's a it's a kind of a, a, you know culture and also a balance between the time and uh, the space. When some people are cooking uh, in the in the kitchen, the other members they are talking, they are doing something else. So it's also creating our a, a period of time, maybe two hours or three hours to, to try to, to discuss or communicate in the family. So I, I think it's a kind of a very uh, important time to prepare the, the whole meal and at the same time to, to try to, to keep the taste. We also say that what is the best taste? What is the best dish? It is uh, what you remember is your mother's dish when you are a child. So I think it is a kind of... Uh, transfer from one generation to another generation about the culture. The food is definitely one of the most important cultures in China. They are showing the differences in different regions, and they are showing us with a good memory about uh, the past.
1: Mm, Yeah, so food, uh, traveling, hometown, family reunion, these are all characteristics of the Chinese New Year holiday. Now, Professor Tan. In Chinese history, um, I think recordings of a spring festival celebrations can date back to as early as the Warring States period from 475 BC to the unification of China under uh, Qing Shi Huang back in 221 BC. Uh, the spring festival originated from the agrarian and the patriarchal nature of the traditional Chinese society. So with that in mind, what do you think could be the challenges for the traditional way of holiday celebration or celebrating the festival to adapt to the modern life here in China?
0: First thing first, I think the ideology, the the modern ideology, I think that tends to especially uh, what we call the idea of modernism. Uh, Modernism is a negation of, of everything old, everything from the past. And so this very uh, pursuit of this very modernity by China and the rest of the country since uh, China's uh, great revolution in 1911, uh, in fact, it's all about pursuing a different way of life, a different uh, societal change, a different ideological transformation. And so it applies to in a sense, the way we spend, we celebrate and observe this very traditional uh, holidays in China, especially uh, the Lunar New Year in China. And so in this sense, I think that we need uh, to, in a sense, to think and dig deeply back into this past and try to come up with new ways and new methodologies and new ideologies uh, in terms of celebrating and observing this very uh, old uh, tradition. Uh, So my way of thinking, uh, tends to be a kind of a double fold. On the one hand, we need to observe the holiday. I mean, like the people in Japan who actually can uh, successfully blend this uh, this modern idea into this old uh, way of celebrating. And so, China need, China is still learning. Our learning curve is still very deep. And secondly, I think uh, the challenge comes to comes from technology. With AI and with 5G and with, uh, I mean, everything so radically new and so different, Uh, China, once again, needs to step up a little bit in terms of adapting uh, this very, or using, applying the new technology to celebrate the tradition, Uh, like traveling, for example. Uh, Traveling remains a challenge uh, to uh, people who want to go home and to be with the family. Uh, technology, on the one hand, allows us to travel, but at the same time, it also allows us to stay put, to talk, uh, to speak, and to meet people. Uh, for example, in WeChat uh, video conference, and uh, all these new way of um, meeting and talking and joining each other, reuniting with each other, could also be employed. And so. Um, I would once again say that um, uh, technology would help us and sometimes can guide us in finding new ways to maneuver and to navigate in among these old traditions so that we can find a new way uh, about ourselves and to redefine ourselves and to redefine those very defining moments that we uh, must sit together under the very uh, leadership of that very patriarchal head of the family And um, heading back to that very agrarian, rural village, meeting people, eating with the people, and also, in a sense, uh, crowded together. And so um, uh, I I call for a change. And I Mm. think that um, challenge is a good thing. And challenge could also help us to, in a sense, uh, uh, blaze a new trail in celebrating and in observing this very um, historic um, tradition.
1: Okay. So the final question before we let you go, Mario. What do you make of the recognition of the Lunar New Year as a UN floating holiday in December last year? A Xinhua editorial says the recognition shows that China's wisdom and peace-loving traditions are holding greater appeal in a world characterized by continued uncertainty and turmoil today. Do you agree in this point?
2: I hope that what is happening, what I, and what I believe is happening, is that Many, many people in the world are getting this message that China is rising peacefully Uh, and let them attach that message to the Chinese New Year messaging and to the Lunar New Year messaging and whatever other messaging they want to attach it to. Because it's the most it's the I regard it as the pivotally it's the most pivotal and most critical and most important message possible that China is now not only the largest, safe, stable, successful, capable civil country on the planet but it's doing so in peace this is absolutely incredible for 45 years now since the sino-vietnamese war china has refused to get involved in any war in any way it, in the APEC summit in san francisco uh, in front of all the world's most influential fortune 500 business leaders xi jinping reiterated it again china will not enter into any cold war or hot war with any other nation this is amazing and looking at the opposite the horrible slaughter of innocents in gaza happening now previous to that ukraine still happening Uh, i don't have to i don't want to go into too much politics right we see a world led in the west by the u.s rooted in a lot of war and death, and China refuses to be a part of that. It's a miracle and a gift to mankind.
1: We have spoken with Dr. Zhou Mi, Senior Research Fellow with the Chinese Academy of International Trade and Economic Cooperation, Mario Cavallo, founder and CEO of M-Communications Group, and a Senior Fellow with the Center for China and Globalization, and Dr. Tengjimeng, Associate Professor from Beijing Foreign Studies University. That's all the time for this edition of the program. To listen to this episode again, or to catch up on previous episodes, you can download our podcast by searching World Today. I'm Dinghan in Beijing. Thank you so much for listening. Bye for now.